Coming to you from the sandlot behind mean old Mr. Myrtle's house, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two kids who aren't L7 wieners, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Wow, that's uh, that's an interesting reference. A little sandlot action there. Um, Corey, who sent that in? That was brought to you by L7 wiener Jack Durden. Ah, I wonder if there are any other kinds of wieners. I'm an L8 wiener. Of course. I just got my certificate. Yep. You can place that. <laughs> I always enjoy when we catch Corey in a little ad lib. A little improvisational moment of genius. A spark. Lightning in a bottle. Yes, Gen- sir. Genie in a bottle. Maybe. Yes, sir. I dream of genie you, in a you bottle. Had a, you had a wiener. You said something about a wiener. I had a wiener last night. I, very good. I was at the Dodger game. Luxury nice. box at the Dodger nice. game last night. Oh, by the way, and I learned something last yeah. night. I went with a friend of mine who is a very strong source mm-hmm. in the world of Seinfeld. Yes. Won't tell you who he is. Won't say his name. Right. Just saying he's an extremely reputable source. Well-placed behind enemy lines. He's well-placed behind yes. enemy lines. And he told me that there will be no Seinfeld on Blu-ray. This is a very well-placed source. I'm telling you that he then is uh, intimately to... involved uh, with the show and no Seinfeld. Then either. someone needs to start a petition. Well, is that right? Yeah. Then you've got to get a website and be allowed to sign on and have to tell them that people want this. I think they do want it. Speaking of wieners... Um, I just gave you scoop, and you're going to tell me some stupid story about when you were at the Brentwood Country Mart and you ran into like, uh, some celebrity. Is that what you're going to do? No. I've got Seinfeld Blu-ray scoop, and you are cutting it short... To tell me some story about nothing. Uh, uh, no, actually, I, I was going to make mention of the new Kim Ki Duck film, uh, uh, aka nothing. No, Mobius, uh, the new Kim Ki Duck film, Mobius. Which, by the way, he, you know he's he's a little bit nuts. He's one of those kind of crazy filmmakers. And uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring is a great movie. That was Oscar nominated. But his other movies are kind of tweaked, and I usually like them, Nine Iron and whatnot. But uh, Mobius, speaking of wieners, has um, not one. Not two, but three castration scenes. Not even castration. It's like straight up, like, lop off the member scenes. Is the movie about that? Why are we talking about this? I don't know. We were talking about wieners. Oh, okay. So we have a lot to talk okay. about this week. Yes, we do. Actually, this is an amazing week. And, that, and that, the, the music that we started the show with is, of course, the great Angelo Badalamenti theme to Twin Peaks. And we, uh, we should get right into that because Twin we teased this some weeks ago when we talked to, uh, to Charlie. That would be Charles Lazarica, who, uh, of course, was the, uh, he, he's the dude, you know, he's the, he's the go-to guy for all the special editions. And um, we are talking about Twin Peaks, the entire mystery. Ten discs, Wade. Oh, my gosh. So awesome. It awesome. is. It's great. And, it, you know, look, I love it. It's, t- it's, it's, a, it's a nice, tight little package. <clears throat> it is um, roughly the size of, you know, what, what, what would you say, uh, like, like, Three, maybe it's like three regular size DVDs. Uh, that is true. It's a, it's a nice, it's a really nice box. It's super cool. Uh, the uh, the artwork on the cover is excellent. It's kind of got that shattered Laura Palmer uh, face image, and then there's a cutout, and you see the uh, the Laura Laura Palmer corpse face kind of peeking through. It's great. But the, the best part is that each episode, you yes. realize that each episode starts with a brand new introduction. Yep. By the log lady. Yes, indeed. Brand new introduction. They they brought the actress back. It's so awesome. Log lady. Love it. Awesome. Log lady. It's the best. All that stuff. Two is versions great. of the pilot. Yep. 
Which is good stuff. The whole series, every last episode. Outtakes. And by the way, for a long time, you had to, uh, there, there, were, there were issues with getting every episode on DVD, even in the U.S. Like, you had to go and get the Japanese import to get every episode. There were, there were some music clearance issues. I mean, it was, it was kind of a mess. But anyway, what you, the real goody here is The Missing Pieces, which is um, 90 minutes worth of deleted and alternate scenes. And, of course, you also get, obviously, uh, Fire Walk With Me, the movie, which was at the uh, Cannes Film Festival in 94? 93, 93, 94, one of those two. I was there. I remember it. People loved it. Nobody understood it. But, you know, it did kind of sort of pay off a few things, even though they, uh, they had a couple of little cast uh, replacement deals. But anyway, I mean, it's just fantastic. It is, it is on Blu-ray, all newly remastered picture, uh, remastered sound, lossless. It's just fantastic. It's and great. You know what? I mean, I, it, it, it's, I used to be really kind of heartbroken that the show... Didn't continue, and I still am, because remember, that was my Saturday nights. It was China Beach and Twin Peaks, and I was done. And, uh, you know, two years, it's, it was like, that's like the, all the great shows, and it ended and left so much hanging and so much unresolved. But then I realized, you know what, if it had gone on, it would have been like a lost thing. They just would have dug themselves so many holes and created so many red herrings and just the, the, the labyrinth of unresolvable crap that they would have painted themselves into. Would have, it wouldn't have been fun anymore. And now, at least, it, the, the brevity of it, those two years, it, it still makes it like, it's still a cliffhanger. It's like the unresolved cliffhanger. Well, and I kind of like that now. Well, look, we're talking, what, 1990, 91, 92? Yeah. You realize that if this show was on HBO now, a brand new show on HBO with True Detective and these other shows, yeah, sure. it'd be much better received. Sure it would. I mean, you know, TV is, is much better prime. Sure. To and accept, it would also, audience is a much better prime to accept a show like this. And it, would, it would be like five seasons in and fewer episodes because you'd be doing just a few each year. Yeah, be great. Because nowadays, you know, a lot of these showrunners they they, they 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 call the shots, they call the shots on how many yeah. they're going to do. It's great. I, I I really appreciate that. I think that's awesome. So so what you're saying is that Twin Peaks is recommended. William. I'm saying Twin Peaks, the entire mystery. Buy it, uh, done, make it happen. Buy it, make it happen. How can you watch it? it yet? It's awesome. Okay. It's awesome. It's just freaking awesome. Do you like it? I loved it. And uh, I, Charlie, once again, just outdoes himself. You know, it's just, I mean, we, we, we sort of matter of fact, oh, yeah, he just, he, you know, he just, he, he does these things brilliantly. And it's, uh, it's beautiful work. So rock on, Charlie. We love it. It's fantastic. Twin Peaks, the entire mystery. That is one of our two big picks of the week. The other one we're going to get to momentarily. The other one is like another big wow moment. What is it? It's, it, you know, this. Oh. I know, right? I thought you meant the Perry Mason movie collection. No, 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 no. But let's carry on. Let's finish off TV. As long as we're doing TV. Uh, sure. Would you like me to do this? Uh, no, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll knock this one out real quick. Uh, from Warner Archive. You know, Warner Archive does a lot of TV as well. And, uh, of course, this is stuff that has very niche appeal. So it's, it's uh, MOD, manu- uh, Manufacture On Demand, DVD-Rs. If you are just craving, if you've gotten through four seasons of um, Chad Everett in Medical Center, and you are craving more Chad Everett, that well, the complete fifth season is out there. Uh, there is nobody of course, is craving this way. There is of course a David Lynch connection here as well. You realize that? Oh right? my God! Because Chad Everett was in. Um, it was in uh, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. You remember that great scene with Naomi Watts and Chad Everett? Of course. The acting. It's. I mean, it, where they. It just. I mean, that's a great moment. That is some of Lynch's best directing of actors I've ever seen. It really is. So anyway, uh, look, it, this is completely of the, uh, of the 70s. It is just, it screams 1970s. Uh, but there's a, there's a cool vibe to the, 
70s era dramas and uh, some fun guest stars. Martin Sheen, very young Martin Sheen, shows up here too. So the fifth season of Medical Center. A lot of fun. Uh, one of my favorite um, stand-up comedy venues in L.A. is the UCB Theater. There's one in New York also. But uh, the one in L.A. has a uh, comedy group called The Birthday Boys. And IFC gave them a show called The Birthday Boys. And so if you're a fan of The Birthday Boys, maybe you've seen them at uh, UCB L.A. You'll be totally grooving onto the show. It's, I think it's funny. It's got uh, Bob Odenkirk from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, the upcoming Better Call Saul. So... Um, and Ben Stiller also is yeah. executive producer. So there's some, there's some like funny, funny, haha, funny stuff in it, but there's also some like strange stuff in it. So it's definitely uh, great for your indie comedy buddy to check out because I don't think that th this show has no traction. I mean, there's new episodes starting in October, but the as for the first season, which is now on DVD, not Blu-ray, um, it's just got no traction. No one's ever talking about it, but there's some funny stuff in it. So if you're into that like underground comedy indie thing and you like Bob Odenkirk, The Birthday Boys, check it out. Rock on. Uh, you know, there was a lovely television version of The Trip to Bountiful done fairly recently uh, for Lifetime, but it's better than you, you know, Lifetime, right, whatever. And, you know, what they did was they, they, they told The Trip to Bountiful, which of course is a great movie, by the way. The, the film from, uh, what was it, about 90, what was it, 89, 90? I'm going to say... It's from 89. Yeah, 89. Let's see who's right. What's well, somewhere? 85. 85. 85? That was 85? Yeah. Of course it was. I was living in France. I should have remembered that. Uh, wow. You to be France. Anyway, to be France. Uh, thank you. Trip to Bountiful, they redid it with a black cast, basically, uh, with Cicely Tyson playing the lead, and it's lovely. It really is. I mean, does it compare to the, the previous version? Well, of course not. They don't have the same resources, but uh, they put a really good cast together Cicely Tyson, Vanessa Williams, Kiki Palmer, Blair Underwood. And uh, they did a much, much better job than you would normally expect for, uh, for a television production. And, uh, of course, Horton Foote did the, uh, the script, which helps a lot. Um, and uh, it's great. So, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's a nice companion piece to the other one. So that, I would also say, especially because Cicely Tyson's such a national treasure. She just, she's so great. She is. Yeah. Uh, the complete fifth season of Children's Hospital on... Um Adult Swim. I think the show's funny. Again, this is another show like Birthday Boys that never really broke into the mainstream, maybe yeah. because it's just completely odd, but um, it's a really funny show. And uh, it's, got a, it's got, you know, Rob Corddry's in it, and Ken Marino's in it, Megan Mullally shows up, Michael Sarah, Henry Winkler shows up, Lake Bell, uh, Marlon Ackerman. So it's got a good cast, and it's about a, the doctors in a children's hospital. Season 5 sees them uh, relocating to another hospital. Um, this one in Japan and so that opens up a whole other uh, bunch of avenues of uh, comedy and this show is just crazy this show is just out there this is totally Adult Swim and it's not animated you know the Adult Swim stuff tends to be animated right uh, this is not like so the next one I'm going to talk about I highly recommend Children's Hospital it is really freaky and really funny so uh, a few years ago the uh, Black Dynamite became an Adult Swim series and uh, I, I got the movie was funny. Uh, you know, Come on. well, the the movie from two thousand and nine was live action. The, the the Adult Swim thing is is animated, and uh, it's it's awfully fun. It is awfully awesome. And I, you know, we rip on the Adult Swim stuff every so often because it's like so out there that it doesn't. But this is great. It's just bl animated black exploitation. It is fantastic. So much fun. So uh, this is uh, ten episodes of Black Dynamite. I, what I love is I love the way that. Um, like on the back of it, they do an old 70s style poster, yeah. as it would be for promoting the movie. 
and uh, starring, <laughs> starring, and this is exactly as one of those movies would be, starring Black Dynamite, Bullhorn, Cream Corn, and Honey Bee. Awesome. Gotta love that. Anyway, uh, this is a lot of fun. Definitely for adults. Uh, does, you know, th- this is uh, absolutely for adults. A second season is going to be coming up pretty soon. You get a ton of extras on here. Uh, really, pretty, some, some of it gets pretty raw. They, they, they remove the uh, standards and practices restrictions from a lot of this, and it's, it's awfully fun. So if you are a exploitation fan like I am, this is one of the f- most enjoyable tributes ever. Pretty great. Uh, community is uh, not only and a... You know, uh, Nixon, Nixon's on the show. You know that. Richard Nixon? Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Wow. It's great. He was president. There are all kinds the of... There, there, are, there are cameos on there. They're just great. The constant cameos. Uh, community, uh, the former NBC show, is not only a cult comedy, but it is also a potential uh, trailblazer. We'll see how this goes, because NBC finally axed it and was picked up by Yahoo, and Yahoo was going to do a sixth season of the show. So we'll see whether Yahoo is willing to... Um, Put enough money what into was the, it. What was the first series to switch networks? Switch networks? Mm-hmm. The first series. I'm look that up because you know Bionic Woman did it in the uh, in the seventies. Bionic Woman switched. Went from ABC to uh, went from ABC, ABC to NBC. NBC. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm curious because I know there was something in the sixties that did that. Well, you talk about that way. You, you, you look well, that up. On. I'll talk about Community. Anyway, the fifth season of Community is uh, on NBC. Uh, the final season that aired on NBC. It's um. You know, it's a real cult show. I've seen some episodes of it. I think it's pretty funny. Ken Jeong is hilarious. Joel McHale is funny in that Chevy Chase snarky way, which is ironic because Chevy Chase uh, was on the show before he totally melted down. It's fantastic. Anyway, Yahoo picked it up uh, for the sixth season, so we'll see what happens. I know that um, Joel McHale was very unhappy with the uh, amount of or lack of promotion that NBC gave the show, and I'm curious because he won't get much more. I mean, he'll get more promotion on Yahoo, but it'll be seen in a way by less I mean it'll be seen by more eyeballs Yahoo promotion will be seen by more eyeballs mm-hmm. but I don't know that it'll have the penetration that a good old fashioned network TV promo would have so it's going to be hard to say I mean I'd be curious to see how it does curious to see whether Yahoo throws as much money into the episodes as NBC did curious to see if the, if the promo gets the penetration that Joel McHale wants and the show obviously deserves and it's a real trailblazing thing and, and if it does well on Yahoo it could start a total trend you know, Alfred Hitchcock Presents switched from uh, NBC to, uh, from CBS to NBC, fifties into the sixties. But uh, also Hazel. Did you know that Hazel ran oh, with for four? Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Shirley Booth. Shirley Booth. Shirley Booth. Mister Baxter. Mister. Oh, I love what you're wearing, Mister Baxter. Wait, you're showing your age. Although I we know. were not alive during. Uh, no, Hazel switched. Uh, it ran four seasons on NBC, and then it ran its final season on CBS. How about that? Can you believe that? That's great. Hee also switched from uh, CBS to first-run syndication, a lot like, uh, a lot like uh, uh, Baywatch. That's really interesting. Now, I'd forgotten interesting. Jag went from NBC to CBS. There's actually a ton. I mean, it, it, but it didn't. It, uh, My Three Sons also switched in uh, 1965, same year that Hazel switched. It went from ABC to CBS. Did not know that. Isn't that fascinating? This is this is a treasure trove here. I'm looking at the uh, the Wikipedia entry on network change. I can't believe there actually is a Wikipedia entry on network change. Did you know there's probably a Wikipedia entry on Mark's freckle on his left ankle? You know, I actually get this. So Unreal. I actually I actually uh, w- I Wikipedia myself once. Yeah. I guess bored or something. Yeah. And I mentioned it on Wikipedia like three times or something. Yeah, I am too. Something stupid that means nothing. I'm and cl- one I'm, is and one mention of me is completely inaccurate. Yeah, but I don't know how to change it. I don't really care, so I just keep it there. Yeah, whatever. That's so. Uh, no yeah, one cares. Who cares? 
Um, what do you anyway. got? Well, okay, so okay, we'll, we'll talk about some music, got some movies. How about some Blu-ray news? Well, actually, uh, one one last thing here: Perry Mason movie collection, uh, Volume Three. Do some Blu-ray news. Uh, we'll do that. Let me let me get the TV Fine. finished here. There's another uh, Perry Mason movie collection. This is the third volume of them, and uh, these, of course, you know, an older Raymond Burr as an older Perry Mason. This is trying to resurrect the uh, the character uh, many years after the fact in the uh, 1990s and uh, many, frankly, decades after the fact. And uh, you get uh, three double features here. Uh, the Case of the Poison Pen and The Case of the Desperate Deception, Case of the Silenced Singer, The Case of the Defiant Daughter. I'll re ca read them all, Wade, because it's so Case exciting. of the Ruthless Reporter oh, and The Case of the oh, Maligned Mobster. One. Oh, I love the mobster one. It's amazing, Wade. I'm, thank you for reading all of those. <laughs> Every single one of them. Might be a fan out there who knows the, the titles and yeah. says, oh, that's the one I want to get. That's a negative. That's my, that's my job. Anyway, let's see. What's new? Uh, 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 Snowpiercer's on pre-order. you got to get that. doesn't have a release date, but it will be uh, Anchor Bay. Love that movie. You know yeah. I'm always proselytizing Snowpiercer. Sure. Uh, there's a 35th anniversary edition of Alien coming out in October, which no one's going to buy because uh, I've, we've seen enough. I've, I, we already have the uh, it's, it's, Alien's it's quadrobly. And uh, Maleficent oh. is coming out uh, November 4th. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, Phantom of the Paradise, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise coming out. That's exciting. Now, we talked about on the Facebook page uh, the sure. Batman Complete TV series. Of course. That's coming out. Yes. 13 discs. Thank goodness. On November 11th. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for that yeah. my whole life. You know what? It's, it, it, it's, it's, I li I, I, there's only one reason I want that. You know that. Uh, and by the way, I'm pushing for us to try to get somebody, uh, get an interview for that. Really? Oh, man, if we could land Adam West, <gasps> that would be the best. wouldn't that be the best? Wouldn't that be the best? People know that I saw him at a Family Guy event, and I thought he was just, for an 80-year-old guy, he is badass. And, you know, but there's the, the real reason that I'm really looking forward to that is to watch those episodes later on in the run that start off where you sit there and you're watching and you're like, come on, give it to me, give it to me, and you get it. That girl rides her little motorcycle across the scene. You know, she that one extra kick in the beginning. You're like, yes, Yvonne Craig's going to show up. She's going to be wearing a spandex outfit and doing high kicks with the red hair. That was just like the most amazing, like prepubescent, fetishistic fulfillment thing I've ever. It's just amazing. It is totally true. Yvonne Craig, love it. Uh, what else do we love, Wade? What should we do? Uh, you know what? Let's let's do new movies. Let's blow through some new movies. We've got a bunch of uh, new stuff. Uh, notably, Divergent, which has turned into a bonafide deal, a whole thing. Uh, I don't know. It, I, you know what? It, it, it feels like the it feels like the uh, the, the Hunger Games is uh, a retarded sister. It, sure. Somehow, it's not really. No yeah. one really cares much about Divergent. Yeah, but you know what? It made money, man. It did. It made money. It it it, uh, it delivered, and they're going to do the rest of the the rest of the thing. And considering how well Shailene Woodley's Star has been rising now in the wake of uh, the, uh, the the stars in your eye. What, the what was Fault it? in Our Stars. Fault in Our Stars, yeah. It's the worst title ever, but I get it. It's the title of the book. Fault in Our Stars. Uh, now she gets to do the Jennifer Lawrence thing, which is she kind of imports her celebrity into subsequent movies. And now it's not just, oh, Divergent with that girl from The Descendants. It's like, oh my gosh, Shailene Woodley from The Fault in Our Stars. I cried, and she's in Divergent. So now the celebrity cross-pollinates. It and is that's weird though, and because that's, how, that's what you want to do. Because Lawrence and uh, Woodley, Woodley have are really good two, friends. Are they? They're good friends. Yeah. yeah, but they have two different personas. Like Shailene Woodley, his thing. She she was never really interviewed extensively until this film came out. Right. And now you're realizing that she's like this kind of crazy hippie girl. Yeah. You know. Well, she's not. She's just very. She doesn't have a place to live. 
She has like a, like one bag or one suitcase that she kind of lives out of. Tries to keep her possessions very low key. She's very kind of zen about her career and her life and everything. And she's sort of the opposite of Jennifer Lawrence, who's just who. She, she's who, got to watch it. Jennifer Lawrence has got to watch it because it's starting to feel nah. a little bit. Oh look, there's Jennifer Lawrence on a red carpet. Is she going to trip now? Is she going to trip again? Well, but it's it, I, Jennifer Lawrence is is as it's the British would say, she's taking the piss out of her celebrity. Uh, it's feeling manufactured, but I, I think that's starting to feel manufactured. Now. Well, and yeah. By the way, she did the same so thing what? for us. We thought she was so charming. How she what 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 did she say? I forgot what she said yeah. when she accepted for us, but. Yeah, look, she, we we saw her. She's very she's very beautiful, and she's obviously incredibly talented. I mean, she's, she's the talented. real thing. But it's like, you know, some of that some of that persona where she trips all the time, and she's so bold and out there and ballsy. It's starting to feel a little bit manufactured. She just needs to maybe what just I like do the about work, both of them. Do the what work. I like about both of them is yes. they're both great actresses, and they are kind of anti celebrities. Both of them in a very different way, but they're both very anti celebrity. They're not doing the traditional movie star thing, which is playing to all of the hype and the expectations of, of what a movie star is supposed to be and so forth and so on. And frankly, I think that's very smart because we kind of live in a post-movie star age now. In the era of the, the, where the, the, the product, where the franchise is bigger than the star, where TMZ is constantly deconstructing our, our, our ideas of what a movie star is and what celebrity is, they have kind of reinvented our expectations of the movie star, and I think that's great. It is great. I think it it's a good great. thing. So anyway, Divergent, it's very Hunger Games-ish. Uh, you know, it's, uh, in this case, uh, it's kind of a Logan's Runny future. Where, <gasps> Logan's Run! Yeah, Please remake that. Where everyone is, well, it's sort of Brave New World-ish, Logan's Run-ish, where, you know, she's the one who's different, and they are, they are quote-unquote divergent, and, you know, you've got to go on the run, and... Uh, whatever, uh, but it's it's great. It's it's um, you know it's yet another one of those uh, Joseph Campbell messianic uh, feminist sagas, and we need more of those, frankly, because I'm kind of getting tired of them all being about you know hobbits and Luke Skywalker. So it's about time we had some uh, female messiah characters in there. Well, the problem is that the movie's not that great. I I, 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 I didn't think good. it was that great. I think it's good. I think it's solid. I think it's I think there's room for improvement. Look, I thought the first Hunger Games was crap, and I thought the second one was pretty solid. Um, so I think this for for a franchise launcher is much more solid than the first Hunger Games. Well, then they're so, going well, to well, have to get a better director than Neil Berger. Agreed. Who you know whatever directed uh, whatever Limitless or something yeah, crap I like agree. that. I agree. Because I, I did not expect Francis Lawrence to do a better job with Hunger. Did you ever think that between uh, uh, Bill Condon and, Fra- and Francis Lawrence, which one would do the better job of the Hunger Games? No one would ever say Francis well, Lawrence. Well, Gary Ross. Gary I mean, Ross. Gary Ross. Yeah, Gary, uh, Ross. Gary Ross and uh, Francis, Francis Lawrence. Lawrence. Francis Lawrence is a very talented director. He is, I mean, he's a sharp guy. I, I don't know how, you know, with a story, he kind of needs a good script to begin with because he's not going to, but visually he's a very strong guy. The problem with Gary Ross is I know a little bit about what Gary Ross went through and he had really severe budgetary and time constraints, so he couldn't be Gary Ross with this film. And he's not really the right guy for it either. You know, Gary Ross is a... He, he does... He's Seabiscuit. Yeah, he's Seabiscuit. <laughs> he doesn't do teen, tween, action, adventure, whatever. So, anyway. So, anyway. Um, and uh, Anna is an interesting little, uh, little dude hickey. Um, Tessa Farmiga... Uh, is contrary to what people commonly think, is not Vera Farmiga's daughter. It, she's Vera Farmiga's younger sister. There's like 30 years between the two of them. It's a huge family. And uh, she, uh, she played 
Vera Farmiga's younger self in Vera Farmiga's uh, directing debut and uh, looks an awful lot like her. But she's got legitimately her own uh, acting career going right now. She was in a Sofia Coppola film and, uh, you know, the, the Bling Ring. And uh, she's a really good actress. And uh, she gets to kind of uh, do a little bit of uh, kind of anchor a film on her own here in Anna, which is, uh, you know, a middling uh Thriller along the the carry lines, but I you know it's um, it, it's she does a really good job. It's not a great film, but she's good in it. And then she's surrounded by some really good actors, Brian Cox and uh, and Mark Strong. So um, you know, as far as being, it, it didn't get a theatrical release and probably didn't deserve one. But it's uh, if you like the actors in it, I think it's worth taking a look at. It's it's you know probably good rental. So it's called Anna. Mark. Uh, Ironclad is the oh. Ironclad. The Battle for Blood is the sequel to uh, Ironclad, and we are obligated a, to say awesome things about this because one of our friends executive produced it. <laughs> That's true, but uh, <laughs> it's really actually it's, the, the, the the first Ironclad I thought was terrific, especially because they, they they made it for a cost. Yes, they did. They made it for a price, and it looked great. And we actually saw like a super. Remember, we went and saw a super special screening. Yes. Just like the agents there, yes. a little tiny screening room, mm-hmm. and we were very complimentary, which because we liked it. Yeah. Well, then comes the sequel. And, and the story of the sequel, by the way, is actually kind of funny, because our our friend who was involved in this, I remember, I remember when he uh, he found out that there was a sequel in the offing, he had no idea. No, because well, you know, because Jonathan basically, who directed the first one, and directed this one. Jonathan very Jonathan much, English. yeah, Jonathan very much spearheaded the the sequel. So, uh, which is weird because I think Jonathan should be doing other things. You, go you know off what? Sometimes Did it's hard to make your. Sometimes making your second film is harder than making your first film. And that's why you, they they went ahead and did this because he was able. To, he had some capital from the first film. It sold very well overseas, so they uh, they decided to just kind of seize on it when the window of opportunity was there, and uh, and do a sequel. Yep. So uh, there you have it. Now this, I don't think this is actually based on anything particularly historical. I don't know. Um, it's loosely, very loosely, very loosely. It based. kind of. Most of it is, is fictitious. It, it kind of, it's like, you know, there was a survivor of the siege in the first film, and yakta um, yakta, we move on, and, you know, it's a whole new cast, and there's really nothing that ties it to the previous film other than the very loose linkage of events. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a middling cast, but, um, you know, if, if, if you like the first film, I guess you'll have something to hang on to here. It's, uh, and it's, it's also really it, bloody and gory. And it, people well, who love bloody, like medieval blood and guts and gore, sure. yeah. And this one's on, uh, this one's on Blu-ray. So it's, uh, it is a nice Blu-ray from the ex- people at Accelerator. Um, by the way, speaking of that, you know, uh, I was on uh, NPR with Tim on, on Friday talking about last week's movies, including Guardians of the Galaxy, which, you know, is loud and noisy and very busy. But, but it, was, the, it, was, it was too loud, noisy, and busy at the end. Did you, did you see uh, Get On Up, the James Brown film? I did. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy, I mean, I did. I've been listening to James Brown like all week in the car. Everywhere I go, I just hey, it's, I've been over and over. I've been watching Eddie Murphy's brain. James, I mean, I've been obsessed with James Brown for a week. But the thing is, that movie's rated PG thirteen. No, forget that. James Brown did not live he a PG thirteen life. No, he did not. He did not even close. You know, okay. Here's the thing with that movie. It's not. It's not a, bi- a proper biopic. It's just fun. I like. Okay, I like. The, okay, the, the, the great the, the performance. Ta- yeah, no, he's great. Chadwick but Tate Taylor, who I think is Tate Taylor, who yeah. also did the help. Yeah. I think he's a crappy director. I, think he's, I, 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 I don't like his sensibility. I think he whitewashes, so to speak. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, I, I just sure. don't. I, I think they should have got an African American director to do both those films. But here's the thing. I, I appreciate that he took a chance with the editing, where the, with the jumping around of yes, the time. Yes, not like any of that. The only I like that, but here's what you lose when you do that. 
you lose any sense of the relationships true. that he had. Absolutely look, true. In the climax of the movie, and I'm not giving like giving like it away. In the climax of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. You realize when he when when he's singing the song to his friend, who was like was really well played. Some guy from True Blood. I don't know what his name is, but um, at the climax of the movie, when he's singing the song to his friend, you realize that this is a movie about a guy who for his whole life thought he didn't need anybody. And then at the end, he realizes he does need people. He needs his friend, right? Sure. And that was like an epiphany for him. But yet, when you jump around editing-wise like that, you can't let that relationship really get a lot of traction. So at the end, when he comes to that realization that, yes, I spent my life feeling like I don't need anybody. I'm going to yep. do it all myself. Yep. And yet, I, and yet I, I need this man, my friend. Bobby Bird. It, it, Bobby Bird. And he was so well played by that guy. I don't know oh, who yeah. he is. No, he's, he's the guy from uh, True Blood. Yeah, I don't know. But whatever. Yeah. I, I thought he was great. Anyway, so... Um, you're like, yeah, I guess, but because they're jumping around so much in time and they're trying to d- juggle the mom and juggle the dad and juggle the aunt and juggle the career and juggle Dan Aykroyd and juggle the Bobby Burke, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So you really lose a lot when you edit it like that, although, yeah. I, I, although it, was, it was definitely a ballsy thing to do. Yeah, Nelson Ellis is the guy from, uh, from True Blood sure. who plays Bobby Bird, who's, who's amazing, yeah. and he's the guy you relate to in the film. He's yeah. great. Anyway, we... But so I just my, my, that was my issue, with, yeah. my issue with the film. All right, well, anyway, back to DVDs. <laughs> A thing called Lullaby, which uh, is surprisingly okay. Uh, this is from Arc Entertainment, uh, written and directed by Andrew Levitas, and uh, kind of thrown out there uh, theatrically really quickly with a few names peppered in to, uh, you know, sort of generate a little bit of interest in it. Richard Jenkins and uh, uh, Terrence Howard shows up for 14 seconds. Amy Adams worked for about a half a day. Uh, but really, uh, this is a, a family story, and it's, um, it stars Garrett Hedlund as this guy. He's a musician, and he is called back to the uh, bedside of his dying father, played by Richard Jenkins, who's in everything these days. His mom is Ann Archer, and uh, his sister is played by Jessica Brown Findlay, from, who played on uh, uh, Downton Abbey. And uh, they, it's just this incredibly dysfunctional family that are, they're trying to put their act together as dad, Richard Jenkins, is dying, and they find out that he is giving his fortune away, the fortune that they were all kind of counting on. And um, it, uh, it's a very small film. It's a very contained film. But I, you know what? It, it ultimately kind of does work, even though it, the, the cameos feel forced, even though, you know, uh, Jennifer Hudson and, uh, and uh, Amy Adams and... Uh, Terrence Howard are clearly all just are like phoning in a a, a, a favor by showing up in this. The, you know, the film's got a little bit of emotional resonance to it, and it could be better, probably should be better, but honestly, I, I think Levitas uh, is doing something that's a little bit brave in the world of independent film, and uh, he deserves to be applauded for it, even if it's not firing on all cylinders. So that's called Lullaby, and it's out there from ARC, and it's on DVD. Uh, Need for Speed is uh, some uh, big, loud stupidity with uh, Aaron Paul. This got a bit of attention because, A, there was no Fast and Furious uh, movie, obviously, because of Paul Walker's death. Yeah. So Need for Speed sort of filled that, uh, filled that niche in the marketplace at the time. And also, it was the, kind of the first film to come out uh, since um, Breaking Bad had, had its finale, and Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad stars in the film. Fortunately, this thing is a piece of junk. It's uh, preposterous and loud and stupid and complete B-movie stupidity based on a video game. And it's a good DVD, though. Uh, sorry, good Blu-ray, though. A lot of extras. Um, looks good. Sounds really good. But I'm just saying, it's just, it's just a bunch of just, just car pornography Nice is what it is. And, uh, yeah, did not like this at all. Just really stupid. And I hope Aaron Paul 
you know, look, he, he's got a lot of credibility from doing Breaking Bad. You don't want to destroy that credibility by doing crap like this. No. So I would uh, pass on the for speed. You know, around the block, I just talked about for theatrical release on Friday, and now I'm talking about it on DVD, which means they just put it into theaters for a few days uh, just to get a little bit of traction and to claim that it had a theatrical release. And it, it, I'm glad they did because it, I got to say a few nice things about it on Friday, and I'm going to say some nice things about it now. Uh, Christina Ricci stars in an Australian movie. Did you hear that? Christina Ricci stars in an Australian movie. Yeah, but and Australians star in American movies all the time. Yeah, but this is unusual. Anyway, and she does not put on an Australian accent. She plays, you know, an expat who's in Australia for reasons that are explained in the film. Anyway, uh, the writing-directing debut of Sarah Spillane, who once worked as a teacher at a school uh, in a primarily Aboriginal neighborhood. And uh, there's nothing remarkable about the story here. It's basically that inspirational teacher goes into, you know, a, a, a poor neighborhood of... Uh, minority kids and brings the arts to them and tries to help them overcome their horrible downward inescapable spirals circular life of crime and drugs and so forth and whatever uh, except that for the fact that everybody who in this is really good and Sarah Spillane brings a lot of personal experience to it and the acting is just absolutely superb um, the uh, the idea here basically is that this, you know, there's this one kid in her class whose whose brother is, you know, his dad's in prison, and his, you know, the the an uncle was killed and was a promising actor, and he wants to be an actor, but he's also caught in this whole revenge spiral between kind of rival Aboriginal groups. And uh, anyway, uh, it works. It doesn't work because it's original, because it's not even remotely original, but it works because the acting is just really terrific, and it rings true, and it'll tug your heartstrings, even though you know everything that's coming. So anyway, that's Christina Ricci in Around the Block, worth checking out from Cinedime, and uh, includes a few extras, commentary with the filmmakers, a music video, deleted scenes, featurette. Nothing, nothing extraordinary. Uh, Cuban Fury is a movie that uh, escaped all of our attentions, uh, mainly because it's uh, not that great. It's got a good cast. Nick Frost, uh, who we all know from the Simon Pegg films, sure. like uh, Shaun of the Dead, as well as Rashida Jones, who's kind of delicious. I have to say, I, I like Rashida Jones. I'm I do put too. that out there. Um, and Chris O'Dowd, this is a movie. This is a movie in the vein of like um, the Full Monty mm-hmm. and like those, those, sure. those, like these these lovable people get together to put on a show and they're losers yep. and whatever. Sure. So this one has Nick Frost as a uh, as a guy who loves salsa dancing. He gets injured twenty years later. He wants to take up salsa dancing again to impress his uh, his very beautiful boss. So. Uh, the problem is that this is that not that Nick Frost isn't funny and can dance and strikes a blow for the schlub and all of us, and I like that kind of stuff, but it's so by the numbers and isn't really funny enough that I feel like uh, it's a bit of a half-assed effort, a bit of a missed opportunity. So, and the guy who directed it, he does mainly TV, so it doesn't look like him, doesn't feel, doesn't have the energy and the mm. snap of a, of, of a big, like, you know, mad hot ballroom type movie. So I would pass on Cuban Fury a nice, uh, nice try. And if you like Nick Frost and Chris O'Dowd, Rashida Jones, you might want to give it a whirl. But I think you'll find it okay. Like them. I like them. I, I, I'll give them a shot. You know, uh, the other woman had a, a moment of, of success on its opening weekend, and then everyone realized that it's kind of lame. Uh, the other woman stars Cameron Diaz, Leslie Mann, Kate Upton. Basically, this is uh, a uh, First Wives Club for a new generation that didn't see the First Wives Club. The, the idea here is that uh, Nikolai Koster-Waldau is a real cheater. He's married to Leslie Mann, but he's having an affair with Cameron Diaz, and then they later learn out he's also having an affair with Kate Upton. He is just a cheater. He is hopeless, and, of course, they find out about each other, and they all team up to 
really stick it to him. So it's a, it is a feminist revenge movie that has just enough titillation to make men feel like it's okay. Uh, the whole thing is really, really weak. Jennifer Hudson shows up in, uh, not Jennifer Hudson, uh, 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 Nicki Minaj shows up in this and uh, does a, um, a really kind of a throwaway bit. Uh, Jennifer Hudson, of course, in the last film I talked about. The uh, Nicki Minaj just should have been in a better movie. I like Nicki Minaj a lot, but she's wasted in this. Nicki Minaj? Yeah. You like Nicki Minaj? I do well, like her, Nicki Minaj. The music? Totally. Really? Of course. You do name making that up. I'm not. I like Nicki Minaj. I think she's awesome. Can you, really, can you name one Nicki Minaj? I, I, I don't even know what she does except L get tattoos. and. I'll, I'll look at a picture of Nicki Minaj. It's like she doesn't even need to sing. Seriously. No, she does need she to sing. She doesn't need to rap. She doesn't need to rap. She doesn't need to sing. She, she was a film school student, by the way. Do you know that? Like at NYU or Columbia or something. Well, she should have done film. Anyway. Uh, she should. I like her a lot. She's funny. Really? She's good. She's talented. Yeah. All the people in the world you would like. God damn right. It's bizarre. Uh, anyway, no, here's the thing about the other woman. Uh, Leslie Mann is terrific in this. She is like, she's like Barbara Streisand, Lucille Ball terrific. She is hilarious and funny and her timing is wonderful and she's just like grade A comedienne. Everything around her is just stupid. Cameron Diaz is utterly wasted. Kate Upton is just there for window dressing, and it's just a—it's a—it's really kind of a pointless film. Um, but uh, it's almost worth seeing just because Leslie Mann is so relentlessly funny. She's relentlessly hilarious, and there are at least four scenes where I was almost in tears. She was so funny. Doesn't save the movie, but you know, whatever. Uh, wait, Ping Pong Summer is a. Cute little film. I wish it wasn't so formulaic, but it was kind of cute. It's um, it's written and directed by this guy Michael Tully, and it must be about his childhood. I, I can only imagine. But um, it takes place in the mid '80s. It's about this shy kid, 13 years old, and he wants to win the popular girl by winning a local uh, uh, ping pong championship. That's what there it's about. Go. So it's very it's like Karate Kid with ping pong, um, but it's got a good cast: uh, Susan Sarandon. Leah Thompson, Amy Sedaris, uh, they're all in it. The kid is very good. Ultimately, I think what, if anything sells this movie, it's the fact that it is pretty sincere. Like, I do feel like this was, t this was lifted off of somebody's actual childhood, either the writer or the director, or either, uh, either Michael Tully or the producer. Somebody experienced it just this way because you get a sense of that organicness to it. It just feels very authentic. Um, but it is pretty slight, and it is pretty, you know, it is pretty much of a minor work. But it might be cute. Go for it, Ping Pong Summer. Low budget, doesn't look that great on Blu-ray, but, uh, but there is an audio commentary by um, Michael Tully, and that's pretty... Uh, it's not really much about the making of the film more than it is about his experiences, you know, directing the, uh, this movie, and uh, it's cute. Yeah, why not, Ping Pong Summer. So there is no work of literature, of pulp literature, that is so promising, and yet which has been so mutilated over the years like Tarzan. Uh... Edgar Rice Burroughs' Tarzan books were amazing. They were staples of my growing up. I loved every last one of them. I read the entire series, which is something like 30-some-odd 30, 30 books. It's just it's endless, and it's awesome. And uh, i got to be honest with you, man. I don't know why people keep bungling this. It's like they just don't get it. Greystoke, which, of course, was written by Robert Town under the pseudonym P.H. Vazic, which was, what, the name of his dog? It was, it was Dog. His name was Dog. Anyway, and, uh, of course, directed by Hugh Hudson, starring Christopher Lambert in his first big role, was amazing. That was it. That defines the, the, everything about it. Everybody keeps tweaking with stuff. This is a German production, CGI animated. I don't know why they thought they could do this when Disney already kind of owns the animated Tarzan. 
You know, they sort of do. Disney kind of co-opted that, despite the fact that Filmation did a better animated Tarzan for television. But um, this is just not good. The, the CGI is not good. The voice casting isn't good. The story is terrible. It's all kind of present day, so the Greystoke family doesn't crash. In the, in, it's not a 19th century expedition that crashes, well, you know, shipwrecks in Africa. They're helicopter crashes. It's the stupidest thing ever. So anyway, this is a Blu-ray, DVD, digital, HD uh, combo set. I cannot recommend it. And then lastly on the new movie front, before we uh, dive into music a bit here, is Half of a Yellow Sun, a film I wanted to like a lot more. This did the festival rounds last year. Uh, should have done better, considering that it had uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor in it, and it was released right on the heels of 12 Years a Slave winning Best Picture. And you would have thought, oh my gosh, they're going to they're blow this thing out, and they're going to you know, piggyback on his name, and eh, not, not really... Um, they didn't really do anything with it. Uh, it's, it's a really nicely made film. It's beautiful looking. It's got great acting. Um, but for some reason, it just kind of doesn't really ever catch fire. And the whole thing uh, takes place basically centering around the Nigerian Civil War. It's a Niger- kind of a Nigerian history lesson, a little bit like a Nigerian variation on Dr. Zhivago, if we could kind of put it in those, in those terms. But um, the particulars of that, the historical particulars of that, are very interesting. And I learned a lot that I, I thought I knew before and I didn't. Um, so Chiodelegi for Tandy Newton, Annika Noni Rose, all do wonderful, wonderful work here. But um, something about it just doesn't, doesn't really catch fire. So it's, it's nicely done, but you can admire it from a distance, and that's on uh, regular DVD from Monterey. Mark, time yes, for music, sir. and then we're going to blow people's minds. Really? Yes, we are. We are going to, you're going to blow their minds. You're going to blow their minds. You mean the star of Jack Reacher? The guy who played the villain in Jack Reacher is also it, a director? That's exactly right. Wow. He's a cruel man. <laughs> he's a very cruel man. He's cruel to his crews, and he's cruel to his audiences. And we like it. We like it very much. I uh, should talk about uh, this right here that I'm holding in my yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. We uh, couldn't get Zach on the phone in time for this to, to do a little spiel, could we? Uh, we could not. He, uh, That's too bad. We could not. But uh, we can still talk about Woodstock, the yeah. uh, the, the seminal, indispensable, classic, uh, iconic uh, documentary about the um, music festival from mm-hmm. 1969. And the thing is that you know, if, if obviously uh, you know, a lot of people listening to this were not around in 1969. Um, but it was, although maybe they were around during like Live Aid and Farm Aid and some of those festivals that yeah. really helped define yeah. those eras in a sense. Yeah. But none of them were like Woodstock. Nothing. I mean, we're talking about the late 60s. The Us, Festi- love, the Us Festival was an attempt to try, kind of try to do a Woodstocky thing in the 80s, but that, even that didn't work. Lame. Yeah. Uh, but Woodstock really symbolized the, the musical and social and, and, and just political changes in ideology at the time in the late 60s. There was nothing like it. Um, and this film, which is already like three hours, whatever it was, has even more footage. So you've got more of the Who, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Joan Baez, Jefferson Airplane. Um, it's just an amazing, amazing film. And uh, a friend of ours, his father, was actually integral in the making of the film. So I was going to try to get him on the phone to tell the story, but uh, Fred, who was a New York guy... He was the one who started the Bitter End, which is the iconic uh, Greenwich Village Club, still mm-hmm. on Bleecker Street to this day. So Fred, club owner, very happy as a club owner. He gets a call from California to become an executive at Warner Brothers, even though Fred had absolutely no movie experience whatsoever. 
He was a club owner. He started one of the iconic clubs in the village, but still, he was a club owner, no, no movie experience. He knew a guy, said, why don't you come to Los Angeles and uh, work at Warner Brothers? And this, of course, is in the you know, mid-60s. So Fred says, sure, why not? You know, California, warm weather, and beautiful girls in California. So he comes to California, and he's having a conversation. Of course, this story would be better told, if not more accurately told, by either Fred or his son, who's a good friend of sure. Wade's and mine. Yeah. So uh, good old Fred, Zach. For Fred says to the Warner Brothers executives, he goes, look, there's this thing going on. It's a, it's a music festival. It's in New York. It's, it's going to take place at a farm called Woodstock. Now, again, this is before the Internet. It's before cell phones, before computers, before anything. So whatever was going on in the right side of the coast was not getting back to the left side of the coast or vice versa because this is pre-everything. But Fred, who was this guy who knew all about New York culture because he was already ensconced in the bitter end mm-hmm. and Bob Dylan and Woody Allen and all those guys, he comes to Los Angeles and says, look, I'm telling you, in New York, there's this thing going down, and I know about it. It's called Woodstock. And Warner Brothers was very reluctant because, you know, Fred was new, and what's Woodstock, and who are these kids, and, you know, the executives are like these old guys. But eventually Fred said, just give me a little bit of money. Give me a little bit of film. I got a guy who can direct it. Just let's, let, let's just go and shoot it. So Warner Brothers gave him the money. Not much money, but they gave him the money. Sweet. And they gave him the money, and he uh, got a director, Michael Wadley, and it wound up being Woodstock. And it was a game changer, as a, a term that was uh, nowhere to be found in 1969. But, uh, yeah, it's great. Jimi Hendrix. Come on, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. The Who, Joe Cocker. Totally. Oh, it's fantastic. Woodstock, Three Days of Peace and Music. It is unfantastic. This is the director's cut. The Thing won an Oscar. There's plenty of never-before-released uh, performances. Three hours of additional music and stories about the festival and from the festival. Um, 40th anniversary, cannot uh, recommend it enough. Woodstock on Blu-ray. It looks great, although I will say this is a very, A, this is 1969, and B, it was a very, very, very low budget, on the fly, on the run production. So don't expect a shiny, glossy uh, Blu-ray. So I got two, uh, two very, very different films here. Uh, the first one is Made in America. Um, this is a Ron Howard documentary, and Ron Howard is not typically associated with documentaries, but this is, um, this is basically Ron Howard uh, giving you a complete inside and backstage look at the festival that was the brainchild of Jay-Z. And uh, it's, uh, it is a really interesting insight into, uh, into the music industry. It, it, you know, look, it's not, it's not the end-all, be-all of any of these things, but uh, it's pretty great. And it's re- the interviews are fascinating, and it, uh, it just, you realize very quickly that music still has this transformative power, even if it's the whole industry around it is changing exponentially day by day. Uh, who's on screen here? Uh, obviously, Jay-Z. As well as, among others, uh, Kanye, Run DMC, Pearl Jam. It's pretty great. And then that's on, so that's on Blu-ray. Ron Howard, good documentarian. Who knew? And then there's uh, this film from uh, documentarian Marco Capalbo called Stravinsky in Hollywood. And uh, if you're not a fan of Stravinsky's music, then don't bother. If you are a fan of Stravinsky, who is an iconoclast and an eccentric and a legendary composer, but also completely unhinged. Um, his entire relationship with, uh, with Hollywood is really fascinating, and it's turbulent, and um, it's just an amazing story, and it's far more amazing than I even thought I knew. I mean, I knew a lot of these stories, but 
I didn't know nearly what uh, the, the crazy directions that this, this narrative takes. This is a fascinating film. And it's kind of a cautionary tale about what happens when somebody with a very, very strong will and a strong artistic sensibility decides that they want to come to Hollywood and do things their way. And Hollywood, of course, is accustomed to people kind of kowtowing, kissing the ring, doing it, uh, doing it. You know, well, we, now that you've now that you've kind of made it through your artistic adolescence, we will enable you to become an adult. And that's not what you tell somebody like Stravinsky. So this is a great film, uh, Stravinsky in Hollywood by Marco Capalbo on uh, Blu-ray, fantastic Blu-ray. From Arte. Uh, we got three uh, rock and roll uh, Blu-rays to talk about. Then I guess we can go to uh, the, the, yes, the, we can. the big one. At least for yes, us. Yes, sure. we can. Uh, ZZ, yes, we can. ZZ Top. I was never a fan of ZZ Top, so I have nothing to say about ZZ Top uh, Live at Montro. Again, part of the Live at Montro, the never-ending Live at Montro uh, Blu-ray collection. They play all their stupid songs that I don't like. Uh, under Pressure. You and, know, uh, I forgot, to, and legs I, I forgot and to tell you. Yeah. She, she's got legs and she knows how to use them. Yeah. I never liked. I just, I, you know, I, always, I never liked things. I just Mark. forget them. Ugh. <laughs> Wade, Wade's doing that little wavy hand thing that they used to do in the videos. Um, yeah, I forget. It. Anyway, so in 3D, very poor looking 3D, I have to say, we do have Appetite for Democracy, Guns N' Roses, live at the Hard Rock Casino Booyah. in Las Vegas. Yeah. This was, um, this was, uh, it, okay, here's the thing. It's, it's Guns N' Roses' first concert film since 1992. So you can see it in 3D. You can see it in high-definition 2D. Um, the thing is that by this point, Guns N' Roses, you know, was really just Axl Rose. Chinese Democracy finally came out after all those years. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what is the secret project? I bet it's going to blow our minds and Axl's sitting on it. And, you know, he's tweaking it for years and years. He finally releases it. It's like, who cares? Not that great. So... This is not the Guns N' Roses that we would necessarily want to see. I've seen Guns N' Roses live. They're amazing, incredible energy, and, and it's just total just rock and roll danger. Love it. So Axel's got a great voice. He's got a great rock and roll voice. Uh, so his voice hasn't lost a whole lot. It's still this crazy banshee shriek. So it sounds great on Mr. Brownstone and, uh, and Estranged and Welcome to the Jungle and, uh, you know, Sweet Child of Mine and all the November Rain, all the Guns N' Roses songs we love the problem is that you know i wish it was you know sure the, the original lineup yeah it i is know not. i hear you so it is hard to fully recommend guns and roses appetite for democracy but uh yeah if you if your guns and roses completed go for it completest go for it now uh the who probably my all-time favorite band they uh yeah, have you love lineup. you you love your who i do i wish i had seen them back when like they meant something um but I kind of waited. You know, actually, you know what? The funny thing is I saw them in the 90s. and like the 90s, they seem washed up. Now it's like... They're, they're cool again. No, they're not cool again. Okay, it, it, it's over. Um, this was recorded. This is called The Who Quadrophenia Live in London. Quadrophenia is, of course, their, uh, their masterpiece concept album, uh, which also is a uh, terrific uh, Blu-ray, the movie itself. Uh, but this is the concert. This was, this was um, performed live at Wembley Arena, where I've been. I saw Elton John perform at Wembley Arena. Mm -hmm. In uh, 2013. So this is pretty much the album, I Am the Sea and The Real Me and Quadrophenia and I'm One and all the 515, all the great Quadrophenia songs. Um, obviously, with one band member no longer with us and, you know, Roger Daltrey, his, he doesn't really have that super rock and roll growl he used to have. Now mm -hmm. he's in like his 60s, I think. 
it's not really the same experience, but uh, you do get new interpretations, older man interpretations of um, Pinball Wizard, Baba O'Reilly won't get fooled again, which of course are not, um, uh, well, a couple of them are, but like Baba O'Reilly is not from Quadrophenia. Uh, but still, you get them, and that's great. But I just think that at this point, um, at this point, I just think the Who should just stop being the Who. You know, Pete Townsend did a lot of great solo stuff. I've got a lot of Pete Townsend solo albums. I just think the Who has just got to stop. All right, Mark. We have 16 films and documentaries, 13 discs. Unfortunately, none of them is Burden of Dreams. That's the only downside to this. Burden of Dreams, you still got to get separately. The Les Blank documentary about the making of Fitzcarraldo. But everything else that you have ever wanted to know about Werner Herzog is here in Werner Herzog, in Herzog the Collection. Which is an amazing... I'm going to do the rest of this, this uh, segment speaking with a German accent. Oh, God, please don't. Uh, okay, I won't do it. But it's very hard to stop once you've started. Because Werner Herzog has a very particular way of talking and he makes you feel like he's going to torture you and really not care about it. Uh, Werner Herzog is uh, one of our all-time favorites. This is from Shop Factory, Blu-ray collection. Comes in a lovely little kind of a book. Uh, that's the only thing I don't particularly like because when they do these book things, that means that every, every page is like a disc and you, you have to realize, oh, there's a disc on the other side and I'm going to have, every time I take it out, it's going to scrape against the paper. I know. The, the, it's the same thing with the, with, with the Stanley Kubrick collection. I know. I hate it. it. I, don't, hate it. I don't like the packaging. Just don't really like the packaging. I get it. It's like showy and you look at it and you go, oh, wow, that's really uh, eye-popping. But I'm probably going to take these discs out and put them in their own separate boxes. Bottom line. Nerd. Anyway, total nerd. But anyway, it's great. Like it's got the picture of Herzog on the cover where he looks a little bit crazy. It's kind of shadowy. He's the best. And he looks like he's going to slit your throat. Um, oh, look at that picture on the inside leaf. It, it madden. It's it's maddening. It's a little bit tweaked and perverse, like his movies. Uh, so you, you obviously get the little booklet part of this. This is like the the uh, the Blu-ray book version of having a ton of Blu-rays in here and there's all kinds of essays on the films and the background on them and the shorts and the documentaries and the yada 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 yada. Everything that Werner Herzog has ever done is, is detailed and uh, explained and honored and so forth and so on and then you get into the movies. And uh, there are audio commentaries on every single one of these. Um, most of them are um, moderated by Norman Hill who does a lovely job. Two of them are moderated by Norman Hill and he has Herzog in conversation with Crispin Glover for the for the, which if you've I mean these are all pre-existing commentaries they've been on the previous releases as well so if you if you've heard either of the commentaries with Crispin Glover on even Dwarf Started Small and Land of Silence and Darkness you know that those commentaries are as entertaining as anything that you will ever listen to or ever see live or filmed or recorded they're awesome because Crispin Glover is a nut and Werner Herzog is a little bit of a kind of a crazy German nut. And you put the two of them together and you ask Norman Hill to somehow referee it, it's unhinged, it's brilliant, it's wonderful. And it's informative yet at the same time. Here's what you got on here. Even Dwarf started small. Land of Silence and Darkness, Fata Morgana, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, which is just... Have you watched that lately, Mark? Uh, not lately. It's frickin'... I mean, first of all, on Blu-ray, every print I've ever seen of that is hashed. It's, been, it's like dirty and scrapey and faded. Seeing this on Blu-ray, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is, that's one of the greatest jobs of photography I've ever seen. I don't even know how you got the camera in that location. It's amazing. 
Um, the Enigma of Caspar Hauser, which is extraordinary. Heart of Glass, wonderful. Strozek and Wojciech, uh, both of them unpronounceable, also great. Nosferatu, which we all love. Uh, Fitzcarraldo, legendary. Uh, Ballad of the Little Soldier, Where the Green Ants Dream. Cobra Verde, Lessons of Darkness, Little Dieter Needs to Fly, which, of course, they, uh, that's the documentary that they remade as a narrative film with... Uh, uh, that's true with Christian, Christian Bale, Bale, which is not on this. Yeah, it's not, that is correct. That is not on this. And then finally, My Best Fiend, which is you know, the documentary about uh, Klaus Kinski and that, that amazing relationship. Anyway, tons of audio commentaries, tons of... You know what's of, not on this? What? Okay, this would be the greatest ever. Even though he didn't direct it, mm-hmm. if they had included Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe... That would have been great. Not on this. No, it's not. And neither is, of course, Burden of Dreams. But, but by the way, we should, Hazley, to, to get people interested in Werner Herzog, because maybe they don't know who he is totally, we should tell them about Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe. Because that gives you a sense of how Go crazy ahead. he is. Go ahead. I'm doing this? Okay. Okay. So this took place in, um, uh, this bet was in, the, I guess, like the late 70s or something like that. And so Werner Herzog was friends with Errol Morris. Errol Morris, of course, is the documentary director of Fog of War and Thin Blue Line, etc. So Werner Herzog made Errol Morris a bet. Errol Morris had done a documentary, was doing a documentary called Gates of Heaven yes. about pet cemeteries. And Werner Herzog had made, um, uh, Werner Herzog had said that if Errol Morris ever completes the long gestating, taking forever to complete Gates of Heaven, Werner would literally eat his shoe. So Errol Morris finishes Gates of Heaven, right? <laughs> He finishes the movie. It's a masterpiece. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Turns out that Warner actually, well, he actually he honored his side of the bargain and Les Blank in 1980 mm-hmm. actually shot video and made it a yep. short documentary. It's like things like only 20 minutes or something yep. of Warner Herzog eating a shoe. Yep. And it's called Warner Herzog eats a shoe. And I believe that is on the uh, Burden Dreams disc. It was a bird needing a shoe. Uh, yeah, but I think, that's, I think they're, they're together on that disc, in any case. But that's how crazy Werner Herzog is. He actually so, ate a shoe, and they made a documentary out of it. Not all of Herzog's movies are here. This is simply the collection of the films that are sort of iconic and that everyone remembers, and this is, this is, and the ones they could get the rights to. But this is the, you know, these are the iconic Herzog films that he will be remembered for. So, uh, amazing collection. Absolutely first rate in every conceivable way. Uh, before we have to wrap out the show, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, older titles that I should kind of fly through fairly quickly. Uh, we've got a new uh, company-ish, Scorpion Releasing, uh, which is uh, essentially releasing stuff through uh, Kino. And um, we're, you know, they're digging up a few interesting old kind of exploitation-y things. Uh, movies that you may have forgotten about. They've kind of fallen between the cracks. This one's from the late 60s. It's called Grizzly with uh, Andrew Prine and Richard Jekyll. Richard Not Jek- to be confused with Grizzly Man, the documentary directed by yeah, no, Herzog. No, that's, uh, yeah, which is also not in the Herzog set. Anyway, Grizzly, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of a, 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 in the wake of Jaws. Uh, they had to make movies about all kinds of stuff, like Orca was another one of those. In the wake of Jaws, there were just lots of movies that had to be uh, all about people running away from rampaging rabid animals. And uh, this one's ridiculous, but it's, an, it's historically a little bit interesting. It comes with a ton of extras, including a new Beverly screening the, from, the, uh, from the time of its release. And there's also Green Ice with Ryan O'Neill, Ann Archer, and Omar Sharif. Man, th- did you, I, I didn't even know this movie existed. This is from 1982. 
It was directed by Ernest Day. Ernest, Ernest Borgnine? No, Ernest Day. Ernie Ernest Day. Borgnine? Ernest Day, the, the cinematographer. Wow. cinematographer. Great cinematographer. But it's like, what? Uh, Robert De Laurentiis was a uh, producer on this. And uh, this is just very, very peculiar. And I don't know where this movie came from. But anyway, it's, uh, it's a, a thriller that takes place with archaeologists in the Andes. It's completely preposterous and makes absolutely no sense. And uh, Omar Sharif is just doing this so that he has a little bit of uh, uh, money to play cards with. And uh, I, it very strange movie just kind of came from nowhere. I don't know where they dug this up, but it'll be interesting to see what Scorpion comes up with in the future. Uh, Curtains, another uh, popular horror film uh, from the you know, early 80s is out as well on Blu-ray in a special edition. And uh, this is from an era when all the horror films were a little bit campy, not very effective, but they all had kind of a weird little uh, kind of tweak to them and a um, little kind of a, a, a strange thematic sidebars. And this is one of them. And, you know, I, I guess if you want to see all the cheesy slasher films that you possibly can from an era that was just bloated with them, uh, and it does have some decent makeup effects by uh, Greg Canham, who uh, a friend of mine used to work for for a number of years. Um, by all means, give it a, give it a look, but I, I can't say that anybody should really uh, should really buy this. Um, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis in At War with the Army. I'm kind of amazed that this wound up with Film Chest. Uh, this is you know the Dean and uh, Jerry movies are have done a pretty good job of traveling together. And staying in uh, in kind of one rights holder's hands, but this one somehow fell out of that, and Film Chest was able to dig it up, and uh, this is um, this is not bad. This was the um, this is actually the first film that they did together, and uh, it's got Polly Bergen in it, and it's you know it's them doing shtick in the army. What do you want? It's funny, and they're a great team, and you realize why they made a lot more movies together. It's very funny. So Film Chest did a nice little job of. Curating with that one. Um, the another one from Film Chest is Detour, which is uh, kind of a an underrated noir. A lot of people love this film. Oh, no, Detour's cool. A lot, well, a lot, but very few people have seen this. It's not easily findable. It's kind of it's it, it floats around in compilation collections and. No, you know whatnot. what? It, it's actually on. Um, it's actually on Netflix streaming. Oh, is it? Yes. Detour is well. Wait, I, you know what? Is it Netflix streaming? Hey, I, I, I watch on Netflix. This is a long time ago. Okay. And uh, it's really good. No, Netflix... Is, Anne Savage is hilarious. She's, she's, she's like terrific. She's blowsy broad who do, won't take she's the perfect, from... She's the perfect noir chick. Yes. Yeah, she's, she, she like nails it. She's got the, the, the lips and the eyebrows and the hair and the whole deal and the hips and the thing. Anyway, Anne Savage, Claudia Drake, Tom Neal. Not names that would be household names for anybody, but it is, it is really a pretty intense classic noir. A little bit... Uh, a little bit... Um, I don't want to say campy, but it kind of... It's a little trashy, right? Wouldn't you oh, say? Oh, definitely trashy. Yeah. Well, it really... but the, look, it's it, it, it's about this like piano player who falls yeah. in with this uh, this you know Ann Savage, as we said, who's this who's this hitchhiker. He's a, but he's like a torch song pianist. He's, he's, a... he's a torch song pianist, yeah. and he gets into trouble, and he winds up picking up a hitchhiker at a gas station. This woman Vera, and it turns out she's like the classic you know film noir femme fatale, and uh, it's great. It's great. She's got him wrapped around her little finger. And, and there's, he a great, tries there's a great get, murder angle. He tries to get out of yeah. uh, out from beneath her influence, and tragedy happens. And it's, it's fantastic. It's good, yeah. Good stuff. So that's a, that's a good little underrated noir. 
And then on DVD, not on Blu-ray, I'm sad to say, is the uh, Grace Kelly collection, which includes Mogambo, The Bridges of Toko Reed, Dial M for Murder, The Country Girl, To Catch a Thief, and High Society. Um, and uh, th this also includes Princess Grace uh, of Monaco, A Moment in Time, which is a documentary that you know did they do with Princess Grace right at the end of her life. Um, uh, you know what? I, I, this, all this stuff should be on Blu-ray, and the set should be on Blu-ray. But it's not, so uh, it, it, I'd say if you have any of these movies already on, uh, on DVD, there's no reason to upgrade to this necessarily. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's strictly for Grace Kelly fans and uh, devotees, but I, I'm personally going to recommend that people wait until all these movies are out on Blu-ray in a much bigger, more elaborate Blu-ray collection. And with that, Mark, we are uh, we are done till next week. We are? We are. We're done. Please. See you next week. Oh, no. Oh.